0: All right, well, welcome again. Our, our the title of our lesson today is the New Testament job description. I think that's going to be exciting for us to see. We were able to study some lessons about godly women of old and see the Proverbs 31 woman, see women, you know, Old Testament women and their attributes and their their uh qualities that made them godly women. We were able to even see Jezebel and what made her not such a godly woman. And I think we'll be able to see after today's lesson that God's description for women and our duties, our r- responsibilities, the rule- rules that we're supposed to govern our lives by doesn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We're going to see very clearly, I think, that what God <coughs> what God has designed for us to be as women has been the same since the beginning and still continues today. So our, our, dis- our uh, curriculum starts out, any new product— available today will come with an instruction manual many of these instruction booklets will include a disclaimer somewhere that says something to the effect of this product is not intended for the use of fill in the blank this type of statement has been included because somewhere someone used the product for that purpose usually with dire consequences God's word will tell us what a woman's intended use is. Let us look into our God's instruction booklet. And we've stated before, you know, the world tells us what they think we should be. We're going to get to see more today of what God says that we should be. And our warning that we have for us to begin with says, uh, The following is not very American or progressive. It is strictly biblical. We are not sorry for any inconvenience or offense this may provoke on your feministic lesbian tendencies. And we know that has, I mean, we we can laugh about it, but that's what America teaches us to be like. It's ingrained in us more than we really know. And when we look closely at God's word, we can see how much of it is in us, even when we think we're doing good. We can see where the world has crept into our lives, into the church, into us as ladies, and changed us not for his glory, but for the world's image. So our first scripture is Luke, found in uh, the book of Luke 8.3. says, And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him, Jesus, of their substance. So it says, The Joanna miss Susanna and many other and that's an implied women. There many other women Because the the context of those scriptures is women Many other women ministered unto the lord jesus of their substance So we see here that godly women minister to the lord of their substance We could say that they're tithers We could say that they're givers to the kingdom of god To be a godly woman, you know if if you're not a tither you're not doing what you know to do unto the lord We know in this church that tithing is what God has called us to do. We can see it clearly from the scriptures. We're taught it by Mr. Frank and Mr. Chris, every service. We know that tithing is a biblical thing to do. Whether these ladies were taught it or not, we don't know, but their hearts were still ministering to the Lord of their substance. The the scripture prior to that, we see that these ladies were even ministering to the Lord through helps. They were with him helping him so they were helping him with their hands with their lives They were also ministering to them with their substance. They were tithers Godly women support the gospel financially not just their shopping addiction No, they're not you know godly women aren't just worried about you know the latest fashion jewelry the the cutest hair clip you know, all the stuff that just comes and goes in waves, they're worried about laying up treasures in heaven for eternity. Because you can buy the latest dress, you can buy the nicest shoes, you can buy the cutest handbag to match, but all of that stuff will be outdated at one point or another. All of it will no longer be in fashion or you'll grow out of it. It will no longer fit you. At some point in time, all of that's going to change. But when we give to the Lord, that remains forever. That stays with us forever. So we see here that they minister to the lord with their substance And and honestly that was the least that they could do because some of these women, uh Had devils cast out of them their lives were changed by the lord And I think we can all say that that our lives have been changed by the lord So the least thing that these ladies found that they could do was to minister to the lord jesus of their substance To be givers to the kingdom of god to promote his gospel and and uh Otherwise, you're just going to give into Pastor Chris calls the God of your belly. And he told me to say, if you're chubby, you're really giving into the God of your belly and you can afford to give more to the kingdom of God. And honestly, if you think about it, if your kids, they probably have more clothes than they can wear, more toys that they can play with you know, we drink Starbucks. We, you know, this isn't a message on giving, but there are ways as godly women that even on a budget set by our husband, even on a fixed income, that we can minister to the Lord more of our substance. And it is the least that we can do. You know, we, we get caught up and we look at the now, but eternity is longer. Eternity is forever. And when we give to the Lord, that remains forever. So these women minister to the Lord of their substance. That's something that godly women do. Our next scripture is 1 Corinthians 9.5, and this is Paul speaking. He says, "'Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife? Godly women submit to the leadings of their own husband. God gave the man authorization to, leave the, to lead the wife, not the other way around.'" That word power there means authority. So women, your husband has the authority to lead you about as a wife, as a sister. It's his job to lead you. If you're not submitting to your husband, then by this scripture, we could say you're not acting like a wife if you're not submitting to your husband's leading. And if you see areas in your life or in your husband's life where you think he should be a better leader... Talk to the Lord about it, because the Lord sees more in your husband than you do. The Lord can communicate better to your husband than you can. It's your job to pray for him, not your job to change him into what you want, because you don't want your husband to be what you want. Ultimately, you want your husband to be what God wants him to be, and that's going to bless you more than anything. Pastor Chris and I were talking about this yesterday and he said that I could or even should recommend, um, it's a book called The Power of a Praying Wife by Stormy Om, Omartian. Um, it's a great book because I, I think that it's, it's evident to some of us just by observing, observing our lives that we don't even know how to pray for our husbands. This book gives us a lot of good examples to help you get into your heart how to pray for your husband until your heart just automatically knows. And I would encourage you, you know, we wrap up with Godly Women next week. Pastor Chris is going to start on Godly Men Be as excited about that as you were this so you can learn how to pray for your husband. Not so that your husband can come in here and get fixed by Pastor Chris in the Word, but so that you can do your job as a woman, as a wife, to pray for him and know what God expects out of him, know how God can bless him and lead him and encourage him, and that'll help you in your prayer life for him as well. So pray for your husbands. He has the the authority to lead you. That's his role. That's his job. That's what we want the husbands to be doing. If we see that's lacking, pray for them. But it's our job to submit as unto the Lord. You know, we we mentioned before, we don't submit to uh, getting a ski mask and going to rob a bank. We don't submit to stealing the tithe if the husband says steal the tithe. We don't submit to skipping church. We serve God. But we submit to our husbands if it's neither here nor there in the scripture, we just do it We could say we just shut up and do it We you gave the the silly example take the trash out on tuesday if he wants the trash out on tuesday Paint the wall brown if he wants the wall brown You don't have to argue and have your way about everything, but we do submit to our husbands Our next scripture here is found in ephesians chapter 5 22 verses 22 and 24 Says wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything. We see here again, we're submitted to our husbands as unto the Lord, so we know that we're submitted to God first, so we we say that again, just to show the balance, yes, you submit to your husband, yes, you do what he asks unless it's contrary to the scripture, then you you must serve God. God is first. We we submit to our husbands as unto the Lord. The first part of that scripture says, wives submit unto your own husbands. The first person you should be submitted to is your husband. You should not have more respect for another man than you do your own husband. If you have more respect for another man, you think, oh, if my husband was just like so-and-so, I'd be this way. You wouldn't be because you're not praying for and submitting to and encouraging your husband now. You won't be any different if he's any different later. So you've got to worry about you being submitted to God and submitted to your husband and praying for him. You know, if you find yourself, your heart's not where it should be towards your husband, ask God to help you. God, let me put my husband first in my life, only second to you. We understand that, hopefully. Godly women are submitted women, our curriculum here. First and foremost, they are submitted to their own husbands. They also submit to all authority. They submit to all godly authority because honestly, you're going to be controlled by something. You're going to submit to something. You're either going to submit to the Lord Jesus or you're going to submit to your own pride. You're going to submit to fashion. You're going to submit to social whims, politics, what your friends say, what your co-workers say. Or you're going to submit to the Lord and some women have a control issue they want to be in control well the only way you can 100% be in control of your life is to give that control to the Lord Jesus otherwise we talked about fashion next week you're going to be controlled by a different color dress a different color handbag a different pair of shoes and that's just one example social politics you're going to be controlled by what the dollar's doing what the dollar's not doing so the only way we can be in control of our lives is to give that control to Jesus. The scripture says that as the church is subject to Christ, we're to be subject to our husbands. You know, the church, the good church, the one that's going with the Lord, constantly defers to the Lord Jesus. They don't do anything outside of what God's word and the Holy Spirit direct to do. We see that here with Pastor Chris even in services. He doesn't even want to close a service till he knows that the Lord is satisfied. We should be that way with our husbands as unto the Lord again, submitting to the Lord first, but we should be submitted to our husbands and only doing what he wants us to do, even when he's not around, submitted to our husbands and doing what his word says, whether it's a word he gave us last week or last month, we know his word says, balance the checkbook this way, or we know his word says, we're not eating fast food for two weeks, we're going to save that money. You know, if you take the kids through McDonald's when daddy's out on town, but his word has said, we're not having fast food, we're saving that money, then you're in violation to your husband. You've dishonored him, you've disrespected him, you've sinned against him because his word has said. So we've got to be submitted to our husband's word in our home, just like the church is supposed to be submitted to the Lord Jesus and his word in the, in the church setting, our next scripture, 1 Timothy 5.2, says to entreat or call near the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. And this, is, this scripture is referring to the family of God. Godly women, whether old or young, assume their role in God's family. Older women are to act as mothers in the body of Christ. Younger women are to act and carry themselves as sisters with all purity. So we see both here... We're, God's giving examples for young women and old women. The older women are supposed to act like mothers. They're supposed to be nurturing. They're supposed to be helping. They're supposed to be mothers in the body of Christ. You know, mothers take care of their children. That's what the older women are supposed to do according to God's word. Younger women are supposed to act pure, not causing their brothers in Christ to stumble, not parading around in skimpy outfits, enticing their brother in the Lord Basically, to incest. He's your brother in the Lord. You should not want him looking that way at you that way until he's your husband. So, we see rules for both the older and the younger. And it's just neat how God's Word knows what our flesh weaknesses are. Young women like to put on skimpy things because their bodies have not started changing or drooping or, you know, going different directions. They haven't birthed babies yet. So they want to put those tight things on and get men to look at them. And older women, when they get older, they think, oh, I can just be lazy. My job is done. I've raised my kids. But God's word deals directly with what he knows our our flesh weaknesses are naturally. It tells us, no, look, I know your flesh is going to want to be this way, but my word says be this way. So we have to line up with God's word, whether we're older or younger. Our next verse, 1 Timothy 5, 5, talks about the widow Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. So we see here, this is a a widow. Our curriculum says godly widows trust in God and they are women of prayer. Not all widows are godly. You know, in in the New King James, it says, uh, who is really a widow? It, It alludes to that. You're really not even a widow if you're not doing these things. I don't know what you are if you're not doing these things according to the Bible, but you have more time to pray. You have more time to trust God. She's in supplications and prayers day and night. She no longer has her husband to take care of. She has more time. You know, if you, once you get married, you have more responsibilities. This woman no longer has that, so now she's spending more time in prayer. She hasn't just washed her hands of the things of God. She's doing more with the extra time that she does have. Our next scripture still talks about widows, 1 Timothy 5.10, that same chapter goes on to say, well reported of for good works. If she have lodged strangers, if she have washed saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. We see here this woman, is. it's okay for her to get her hands dirty. It's okay for her to spend time encouraging people by the word of God. She hasn't just given up. You know she's social. She's opening her home. She's lodging strangers. If she's brought up children, you know she's reared children. She's she's hospitable. She's compassionate. She's showing the mercies of God. I think we can see. I know most of you flipped. You don't have to flip back. But those those last three scriptures we see talks of, or four talks about wives, talks about elder women, younger women, widows. God's giving us women in general, no matter where we fall in the body of Christ what we're supposed to be doing. He's telling us what we should be doing. You know, he has rules, no matter what our age is, about how we should be serving him, how we should fall in line with his word. Regardless of where we fall in the body of Christ or where we are in our life, God's word still applies to us right where we're at. That's encouraging to me. This woman in First Timothy 5.10, uh, she has maintained good works, it states, She's given to hospitality and helping those in need. Godly women are diligent to follow God's work, good works. One thing that I I was excited that the Lord allowed me to see through this is that this woman is a widow. And she has continued serving the Lord. Her husband is no longer there. The headship of her home is no longer there. So what that speaks to me is that she has been serving God all along for herself. Maybe her husband prodded her, maybe he encouraged her, but she did it because she loved the Lord. She didn't just do it because someone made her. So for us as American women, I think our challenge is, if your husband was not in your life today, would you still be serving God the same way you are tomorrow? The way you are today? Would you still be as in love with him? Would you still be as faithful to the house of God? Would you still be as faithful in your Bible time at home? in your prayer time would you still be as faithful to serve this woman didn't stop anything you know her natural authority is no longer there like pastor chris says he has no one looking over his shoulder but he still loves god he still prays he still reads his bible he still gives this woman in a sense has no natural authority over her she she doesn't have her husband anymore but she's still on fire for the lord she still loves the lord she still serves him because he's worth serving, not just because her husband had to make her or make her come to church or make her come to Sunday school. She served God for herself. That's encouraging to me. So we should maybe ask ourselves, why do we serve God? Do we serve God because we love him? Or as a married woman, do we serve God because my husband won't let me stay at home or my husband makes me give? He makes me save extra money for that guest minister that's coming. So we should ask ourselves that. 1 Timothy 5.14, moving along here, it says, I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. This, again, is Paul speaking. He says, I will that younger women marry and bear children. That's God's word. That is not American society. That is not feminist society. You know, we, we've discussed feminism says that a, a success is a grand career in six figures or being noticed on your job. God's word says success. My will is that the younger women should marry and bear children. That's God's design for us as women. If it's hard for your heart to hear that, to say, oh, I don't want to get married. Oh, have babies? No way, Jose you should pray and talk to god lord that scripture says it's your will for me to marry and bear children you know i believe just in what i've walked out in my life there are aspects of god that you just don't fully know or fully get a a, a value for until you're married and you have that relationship with your spouse then when you have children you know even miss ginger she's not in here but she she said to me i never understood the whole grandma thing you know she's a grandma now Until the little girl got here now. I get it. She said it's just in me now. I see it You know, we don't see those things fully until you know And i'm not saying the contrary to that is Be a stripper to understand where strippers are coming from no This is understanding god's love god's compassion It's his will for us to marry and bear children if it's hard for you to hear that Then you have some lesbianism in you The world has taught you more than you realize Even working women, I think, sometimes have a hard time hearing that it's God's will for them to marry and bear children, even if they are married and have children. It's hard for them to hear that that's God's will for them because they still see themselves as that successful career woman. When God is saying, success for you, sweetheart, is having a good home and tending to it, which we talked about in Proverbs 31. So our next verse, 1 Timothy 3.11 Says even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Godly women are grave; they're venerable; their behavior can and does demand respect. You know, they're not fifty years old or forty years old, acting like a schoolgirl, acting twenty years old. They're carrying themselves with excellence. Their 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 behavior can and does demand respect not because they're bossy not because they're yelling or they're forcing people to treat them a certain way they're acting like a godly woman not like a child they don't slander they are sober they're sane in control of their mind no alcohol when we hear the word sober it's obviously yes we know we shouldn't drink not every christian that's obvious too but for us, it is obvious that we know we shouldn't drink. Alcohol is there, too. But it also means that we're sane in our mind, that we have control of our mind. We're sober in our thinking. We're sober uh, in, in what goes on with our life. You know, we don't, we don't fall with one push. We don't fall with one attack. Our mind doesn't start racing in circles because one bad thing happened. We're in control of our minds. No, you don't crumble if you're pushed on by your boss. You don't crumble even if you're pushed on by godly leadership to do better. You don't fall apart. If you get a bad report, you don't fall apart. You're sober in, the, in your mind faculties. You're in control of your thinking. You don't let your mind go squirrely. You're not letting it think about crazy things. Well, what if this? What if this? What if this? You're in control of your mind. And she's faithful in all things. Godly women are faithful and dependable. This godly woman is faithful in all things. I think we can probably all look at ourselves in that regard. Am I faithful in all things? If someone needs me, can they even get me on my cell phone? Some of you, I don't even try to call if I need something because I know you won't answer your cell phone. We have, as women, have to be dependable. I'm not saying be attached to yourself on 24-7, but check yourself and say, am I dependable? If people need me, can they count on me? Am I available to be counted on? You know, Am I faithful in the authority that's been given to me? If I'm over a department or with my children, am I faithful with that, that authority? Am I faithful with tithing? Again, godly women are tithers. They're faithful to the house of God. They're faithful to the authority that's been given them. Are you faithful and dependable in every area of your life? I think we can all probably do better there. Um, Just personally, I know I can do better there. We cannot, you know, can we be faithful? Can people count on us? Godly women can be. Godly women are dependable. They're faithful. And we'll move on to Titus 2, 3, our next scripture here. The aged women, likewise, that they be in, a, in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Godly women aspire to be holy. This is holiness in every manner of the word, their behavior, their lifestyle, their speech, the way they carry themselves. Godly women are not false accusers. They don't drink or cause others to stumble with carnal living it's funny to me that there's two scriptures there God has to tell us don't be a drunkard but still people in America fight for the right Christians in America fight for the right to sip wine have a beer be a drunkard godly women are not that way you might be a woman but you're not godly they don't drink or cause others to stumble with carnal living godly women are teachers of good things not bad or evil this scripture Titus 2 3 again is talking about the aged woman so we see here that, that older women in the church, I won't call you old women, older women in the church, they have a job to do. Just because you retire as an American woman does not mean you retire as a Christian woman. If you retire in the natural from a job, you have a plethora of time on your hands from eight to five that you were normally working. Older women, we should see more in the church. We should see older women at corporate prayer. You know, corporate prayer through the week now, we have twice. We have women that stay at home that I still don't see at corporate prayer. You know, if you're working, maybe you can't get off that lunch hour. But if you're older, you're retired, your responsibilities aren't pulling you every direction, we should see more of you here at church. You should be doing more for the kingdom of God or your church if you don't go to this church. But you should be found in the house of God working. This scripture doesn't say... The aged women, likewise, just to get t- take vacations once every two months and sit at home and have coffee and play bingo twice a week. It doesn't say that. It says all this stuff that they're still teaching. They're still a good example to ladies with their behavior, with their lifestyle, with their faithfulness to the house of God. So older women still have a job to do. Titus 2, four. Our next scripture says that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Godly women are teachers. They look to help Christian women. They can teach sobriety, which is self-control, and moderate as concerning their opinions— because they are sober Christians. You know, if you're an older woman, hopefully you've perfected some of these things in your life, and you have that wisdom, that godly experience and wisdom to share with us younger ladies, to share with the teenage girls, to share with the college girls. Godly women must learn to love their husbands, and godly women must learn to love their children. You know, we can't look to the world. We have to look to God's God's blueprint. And he's telling us what we should be doing. We should be looking to influence people with, the, with God's word. We should be looking to influence people with the gospel. We shouldn't be hermits trying to keep to ourselves and just take care of our four and no more, or ashamed for whatever reason of our past, think I have nothing to offer. God doesn't say that these women should do these things only if they have a college degree, or only if they've equaled success in the world's eyes. He says, no, if you're an older woman in the Lord, you've walked with me. You should be teaching younger women. You should be helping. You should be serving in the house of God. You should be helping young women, you know, teach them how to bake. Teach them how to sew. How do you get stains out of clothes? You know, how do you, uh, Miss Teresa was teaching me how to plant a bush yesterday. Teaching younger women how to do these things. Just because we grow old doesn't mean we stop in God. I think we can see that. And if we. You know, we have to say it so much because our society says You get old retire and then you play bingo and go on vacation whenever you want But that's not what god's word says for us Our next scripture titus 2 5 says we should be discreet chaste, help or keepers at home good Obedient to their own husbands that the word of god be not blasphemed <laughs> keep submitted or a uh, Obedient to our own husbands. God has to say that twice. I think that's worth noting. If He says it one time, it's important. If He says it two times, we should take note of it. Godly women are discreet, they're careful in their speech, they're moderate as concerning opinion, they don't have a runny mouth. You know, they don't have to tell everything that they know. Godly women have learned to keep the home domestically inclined, a good housekeeper. You know, God's that important about you keeping and managing your home. He's that important about you being a good home me- homemaker that he puts it in his word again. Godly women have learned to obey their own husbands. Some women like to obey every husband but their own. All of this behavior keeps the, the woman of God from blaspheming, blaspheming the word of God. That word blaspheme, I don't know if you remember, before says to poke holes in from our other curriculum. When we don't act this way, we're poking holes in the word of God. People that look to us, we call ourselves a Christian, but we look more like Swiss cheese. You know, we're not a rock that they can lean to or look to or stand on. We're cheese with holes all in it that they might fall through. We might teach them something bad. We don't want to do that. You know, godly women put God first. You know, they're obedient to their husbands. They're not worried about telling everything they know, being the center of attention. They're worried about serving God. 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 1 and 2 says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Hmm, have we heard that before? That if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Godly women are submitted to their own husbands, even the backslidden one. Now, if your husband doesn't serve God but allows you to, praise God for that and pray for him. Pray for him on a regular basis. This scripture is so encouraging that you don't have to nag your husband to come to church. Hey, do you want to get born again? You don't have to continually over and over and over beat him with the Bible, but you can win him to the Lord without saying anything if you're married to a non-believer, if you're married to someone that isn't as fervent for the Lord as you even, you know, because this could apply to, you know, your husband comes to church, but you're way more excited about the things of God than he is. You can still win him by your fervor and your desire for the Lord Jesus without saying anything, just by trusting God, just by walking with God and him seeing that in you. One story that, um, I've heard is with Smith Wigglesworth. Most of you know his name. I think he was a great man of God, did mighty signs and wonders for the Lord, but he wasn't always a Christian. His wife is the one that actually won him to the Lord by not saying anything. She wanted to go to church and he said, no, you can't go. She said, but honey, I really want to go to church. He said, well, if you go to church, I'm locking the door and you'll sleep on the porch. She said, okay. So she went to church. He had locked the door and she slept on the porch. And I I don't know how the story goes, but I believe that morning when he let her in, she said, good morning, Mr. Smith, or she probably called him Smith. Good morning, Smith. What can I make you for breakfast? You know, she didn't yell at him, didn't nag at him, didn't say, why did you treat me this way? She just loved him with the love of God, and he was able to see God through her and her love for God, and she won him to the Lord by her lifestyle. We can do that, too. Even with men that serve God, you can win them more to the Lord just by your fervor, just by your your loveliness. Again, not your nagging. Not by you telling him everything he does wrong. Not by you pointing out every weakness that he has. Your husband is human. He knows he has weaknesses. He doesn't need you to remind them. Men want to succeed. It's in them. So he's probably already beating himself up knowing all the shortcomings that he has all the places he's missed it He doesn't need you on top of him reminding him of all of those things So we can win our husbands even the backslidden one even the one that's just halfway serving the lord God is interested in the husband obeying god's word not the wife's word God's word is what needs to reign in your husband's life not yours He will be a miserable man if he tries to do what you've called him to do because he'll fail. It'll just cause chaos in your home and and torment. But if God's able to speak to him and say, son, I need you to start doing this, then that will last in your husband and there will be peace all the while. So a godly woman can convert her husband by her holy conversation. Our next scripture, 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4 says whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing the gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of God of great price. So your inner person is precious to the Lord. The Bible says that beauty is fading. We see from this scripture, godly women are not overly concerned with their looks, but rather are more concerned with how their heart is looking. You can be an attractive lady by the world standards, by whoever's standards on the outside, but if you have an ugly heart, there will be no glory about you. There'll be no anointing about you. I mean, I've seen it in Christian women who love God, have a fervor for God. Maybe they're not naturally what someone would say, beautiful, but you like, wow, she is a very pretty girl. But when her heart starts to slip and she decides to rebel or do what she wants to do, you can immediately see a change in her and she starts to be like, oh man, I thought she was pretty. Or vice versa of that. When you see someone get born again and the life of God come into them, there's just a beauty that comes upon them. They just change because of the inward man. The inward man doesn't perish. The outward man does. So godly women, They are more concerned with how their attitude smells rather than how pretty their perfume smells. A godly woman decorates herself with a meek and quiet attitude, not a loud, obnoxious voice. You know, godly men want a wife that's after God's heart. Many a man, not that it's ever right, but have left a pretty woman for maybe one in the natural that doesn't look as good but is a lot sweeter. I'm not condoning that at all, but we see it play out just in our, in our heathen brothers and sisters, people that don't live for God. They'll leave their spouse. She may be a 10 on the scale of 1 to 10 in looks. For someone maybe that's heavier, maybe she has a speech impediment, things that naturally we may say isn't attractive. But she's sweeter to him. And honestly, outward, outward beauty is just all in the eye of the beholder. You know, in Nigeria, we've mentioned this before, but women are desired to be fuller-figured. That's a sign that the husband is able to take care of his family. That's an attractive quality there. You know, our supermodels in America would not be found attractive in Nigeria. They would think, oh, their husband can't take care of them. Oh, they can't feed her. She has nothing to eat. It's it's all just how we've been trained. It's all in the eye of the beholder. But what's on the inside lasts forever. And that looks the same in Nigeria as it does in America. Your heart looks the same no matter where you are. Next scripture, 1 Peter 3, 5. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. We see again, godly women trusting God and they're, in, they're submitted to their own husbands. I think it must really be something that God knows we're going to struggle with if he has to tell us, I don't know, is this four times now, to submit to our own husbands. I know it's three for sure, I lost count. To submit to our own husbands. 1 Peter 3, 6 says, Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, or Sir, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, And are not afraid with any amazement, flee in terror is what that translates as. Godly women honor their husbands and they defer to them and they do them good. I think we've been able to see through much of our curriculum that we do them good with our lifestyle, we do them good with our prayers, we do them good with our words. Or we can do contrary. We can hurt them with our words. We can hurt them with our lifestyle. We can hurt them with our behavior. But godly women do their husbands well. They do good to them. They do good for them. Godly women do not shrink back or flee in terror from this Bible commandment. But the world teaches us to flee from this. Be submitted. Do well for my husband even when I don't think he deserves it. Does God say love our enemies? Yes, how much more the one that we're committed to, the one that we're one with. To love our husband even when we think he's hurt us or done us wrong or done something that we think he should just be put in his place for. God doesn't say, this is the time, woman, that you can yell at your husband. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that. It says she always does him well. She always does him good. Sometimes that may mean you just have to shut up and go in the other room and pray. Say, Lord, I want to yell at my husband right now. I think what he did was ugly, but I'm trusting you to help him and help me because I know that neither of us are perfect. He's not and I'm not. So, Lord, if I did something to cause this, show me so I don't cause this again. I don't want to fight with my husband. I don't want to bicker with him. I want to walk in unity and peace with him. So help me, Lord, to submit to my husband even when I think he doesn't deserve it because ultimately we didn't deserve Jesus. We didn't do anything to deserve it, but God loved us that much. And he commands us to love one another. Sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow just because we have to put our flesh and our own pride under to put our husband or someone else ahead of us. We've seen in previous curriculum or lessons that the godly woman is selfless. We can pray, Lord, help me be selfless. Help me put my husband first and do well for him, and still make special treats for him. Even, I don't even want to talk to him right now, Lord. I'm so mad at him, I don't even want to talk to him, because he won't let me do this, or he made me do this, or he stepped on my big toe, or you know, he, he fussed at me, or I think he talked to me the wrong way. Help me to still put my husband first. Help me to still honor him and love him and do him good, because Sarah didn't do Abraham evil when she thought he had slighted her. She always did him well. So godly women do not shrink back or flee in terror from this Bible commandment. You'll never be as strong as you are or can be without God on your side. You know, the world teaches us that you're a soft woman. If, you know, if you still just tend to your husband and love him and take care of him and the world would call it, let him be in control, let him push you around. You're not doing that at all. You're submitting to the Lord and they don't see that. Because they only see what the world has taught them. But you'll never be as strong as you could be without God on your side. Being a New Testament woman of God is not for the faint of heart. You know, it's not wrong to do the job of a woman, it's not wrong to be feminine, it's not wrong to be soft, it's not wrong to be lovely but feminism and the American culture teaches us otherwise. They teach us as women that it's cool to be rough and tough and one of the guys and fit in. You know, even little girls are taught to be super competitive and play with the boys and sweat with the boys and spit with the boys and squish bugs with the boys. But it's okay to be a woman. It's okay to teach your little girls to bake and sew and be a good homemaker. Otherwise, I, I feel my opinion. You're hurting her marriage before it ever even begins. You're not teaching her. Pastor Okwoko calls them good home training. You're not giving her good home training. Now, if you let your daughter just run wild, for those of you that have younger girls, and let her just act like a tomboy, there's okay with. Let her get a little dirty. Let her play and be a kid. But at the same time, teach her how to be a lady. Teach her that this is what God's plan is for her life. So that when she gets to be 18, 20, 25 and looks at marriage, looks at dating, she'll already have this in her. It won't just be what America has taught her to be rough and tough and make a big successful career, a big person of herself. But she'll learn to trust in God. She'll learn to trust in her husband and she'll learn how to submit to his ways for her life rather than what the world teaches her. So other scriptures you can look at there as included is Luke 2, 36 through 37. Hopefully you can see with this curriculum that God's blueprint for us as women, his rules, his design, what he's called us to be and do, doesn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You know, these scriptures say a lot of the exact same things, but a lot of very similar things as well. as when we studied Proverbs 31, as when we studied the godly women of old, it's still the same. God has called us to be ladies. The world doesn't teach us to be women or ladies and keepers of the home, but that's what God's called us to be. The final thing here, this book, this uh, Power of a Praying Wife, one of the, the uh, uh, paragraphs starts off, she says, I don't care how liberal you are, or liberated. She said, I don't care how liberated you are. There are two things that will always be your responsibility, and that's taking care of your home and your, and your family being domesticated and taking care of your family. The world doesn't teach us that that's our responsibility. That's why we've got to keep looking at these lessons. So I thank you for your time this morning. We'll have church in 15 minutes.